Exactly. Did, did you just say kick rocks? I did. What the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> I do. So like, it's like a really popular <laughs> saying that people say. And like, I have never like actually looked up why people say it. I know it pretty much means like get bent or like. Oh God, I need to like, Google like, this shit. Like get out of here kind of. <laughs> um, like if you don't like it, you can leave sort of thing. Uh, but like people say it all the time, and it, I I have always wondered like where did who first thought of like kick rocks? And I think it comes from like you remember those um old TV shows like nine hundred two one zero and like all that shit, and like they'd always have a scene where like someone's at like a lake or like a beach and like they they have like a breakup, <laughs> and then like the girl walks away, the guy just is so angry that he's literally like kicking rocks because <laughs> he's in like a depressing scene well it is an american form to say to tell someone to rudely go away i just i just don't think of like when i'm kicking rocks that i'm mad i just think of it as (laughs) bored and i'm just walking like like oh man i really need to kick these rocks (laughs) fucking rocks tired of this shit (laughs) oh my god i deserve better than this damn it god damn it all this walking i gotta do Right. No, but yeah, people apparently really like to say kick rocks. Mm, good, good, good. Well, I've no learned something clue. today. Right. No clue why, but that's just what they like, apparently. Hey, you know what? I'm not here to judge anyone for what they like and what they don't like. So fair enough. Fair um, enough. <laughs> I guess we should probably start the podcast before everyone turns it off. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Alrighty, guys, welcome to another episode of Limitless Otaku. This is episode two. Uh, first off, I want to apologize because I'm going to take burden for this. Uh, the last episode had horrible audio. I'm aware. I had multiple friends who were audio people tell me it was horrible to listen to, but a lot of them bared through it and they enjoyed the episode. So I appreciate them for listening. Um, but I have found where I went wrong. We'll fix this going forward. Um, once again, I am not a podcast master. We have no idea what we're doing. We're making this up as we go. So if you don't like it, I don't know, go kick some rocks. I don't know. (laughs) Well played. Well played, (laughs) Steve-O. What can I say? I'm I'm, I'm somewhat of a drunken wordsmith as I'm drinking my Blackberry whiskey over here. So... (laughs) I love it. No, but all in all, you know, these things happen when you first start off. And, you know, like we mentioned in the last episode, we're still trying to smoothen out the rough patches. So just bear with us. And, you know, I promise as we go along, we'll continue to get better and better. And if we don't, Cleveland will fire me and find somebody better to do this with. Is it even possible to fire someone when it's a two-way gig? I think it is like, I think you can just like pretend that you suddenly have all the power and you can just boot me and be like, Steven, I don't like your attitude in the workplace. You're not bringing 110%. And I think we can find, we're going to go a different direction or we're going to need you to leave by the end of the week. And I'm just going to be confused and just sit in my office at my house and just be like, where did I go wrong? Or our, our, our favorite phrase that companies like to use an area of opportunity. Oh God. <laughs> It was not an opportunity I wanted to take. I disenjoy it. But anyway, I'm not going to get fired today. But uh, today we're going to be talking about some more in-depth features regarding episodes that we talked about in our overall talk about Demon Slayer. Now we're going to go a little bit more in-depth to each individual episodes and kind of talk about the features that we really enjoyed and that we thought 
were interesting for ourselves. Um, we're going to be talking about episodes two through five. Uh, we want to put a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode. If you don't want any spoilers, if you don't want this ruined for you because you're currently in the process of watching it, highly recommend watch the episodes yourself. Come back, listen to the episode. We'll still be here. We live in your phone. We don't listen to your conversations like the NSA. Well, I don't. I don't know about Cleveland. He may have like an entire journal about everything that you guys talk about. So you, you never say never. Oh, geez. Everyone put your phone on mute. Anyway, so uh, Cleveland, do you want to kick it off with episode two or do you want me to? Um, yeah, no, I can kick it off. Uh, so what I really liked about episode two is obviously you start off right away. You know, it's going to be a training arc and uh, Orokodaki when he meets Tanjiro for the first time, obviously we get introduced to uh, Orokodaki on Mount, uh, what, what, what's it called? Mount Sigiri, I think, or Sigiri? Yeah, it's um, Mount Sigiri. Yeah, Mount Sigiri. We meet Orokodaki, uh, and when he meets Tanjiro, you know, to kind of sum it up, he's <laughs> less than impressed, to say the least. Um, Too indecisive. Go ahead, Steve. Oh, no, I was just saying, that's what he screams at him. You're too indecisive. Am I tuning out? You got me? Yeah, sorry, you tuned out for a second. Oh, that's weird. I don't know what happened. No, um, I was saying Uderaki, the first time he meets him, he's just staring at him. He's just like, you're too indecisive. Make a decision. Yeah, he literally smacks him. Yeah, he smacks him. He just backhands him. Like in the first two minutes of meeting this dude. Yeah, and, and and you know what's crazy about it too is at first it kind of seems harsh, but one of the things I noticed in this episode and kind of going along this specific training arc, you'll see a common theme that I'll elaborate on later as to why he's that way towards Tanjiro and why he's not the only one who approaches Tanjiro that way. You're going to notice that from episode one, really, like a lot of characters that Tanjiro meets have, have this kind of like tough love upon first impression sort of demeanor about them well and and I, I think the reason they have that is because they've been they have they they were demon slayers so they know that there isn't that level of you can't you can't pretty much hold people by the hand to get through the training it's like from the get-go they're going to kick you down the stairs like instantly. oh yeah absolutely because it's like if you can't get through this you you'll never survive out there you know yeah, no, exactly. And like, I'll elaborate more on like the, the overall idea, but it's one of the things that I found really intriguing about this, this arc and really shows how much thought process was put into developing this arc. And so he pretty much goes over the basics with Tanjiro, like he gives him a test where he has to make it down the mountain by, uh, I believe by daylight, right? By, by, is it by the end of the day or by the beginning of the day? Um, so when he gets to his hut at the base of the mountain, um, Urodaki um, says, well, first, Tandra is like, does this mean my, I'm accepted and I can become a demon slayer? He goes, no. Now we're going to climb this mountain after you just right. ran like five miles or however far he, exactly. he was running. Like you, you, you thought that was the test? Like, nah, rookie, nah. the test just started. <laughs> no, nah, the party is just beginning, boys. Let's, let's get this going. Um, and so then, he, yeah, he has to run up to the top of the mountain. And then he has until daybreak, I believe, to yeah, get daybreak, back to his house. Yeah, and... And obviously, Tanjiro, when he first hears the news, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, when you know you have to take a certain test or, you know, you have a 
a certain like presentation or a responsibility that's due up very soon and you're very nervous about it. So your brain is kind of tricking you into thinking it's going to be harder than it is. And then when you get the actual test or whatever you need to do, you're like, oh, this, this isn't nearly so bad. So Tanjiro has like a brief moment of relief because he thinks like, oh, like all I got to do is get down the mountain by daybreak. Like, that'll be like, you know, that'll be hella easy. Like I'm good. And then he finds out very soon that no, this actually was as hard as you were thinking it could possibly be <laughs> because uh, Rukidaki sets up all these sadistic traps and um, the air in particular on that mountain is very, like, it's very hard to breathe, which helps Tanjiro in terms of, like, his breathing exercises and his breathing training. But, you know, to make a long story short, getting down this mountain is much harder than Tanjiro would have assumed. And so, like, as we kind of see as the audience member seeing Tanjiro over and over again attempt to get through these traps and get down the mountain, we find out a little bit more information as it pertains to, you know, what a demon slayer is and like what it means to be a demon slayer and kind of what Orokodaki is going to put Tanjiro through in order to get him to the level of being, you know, a demon slayer. And one of the things we find out is Orokodaki is what he calls himself as a trainer and it's essentially people who used to work as demon slayers at a certain point in their life. And now they've gotten old and kind of retired. So their job now is to train students of their choosing to make sure that they're ready to take the demon slaying demon slayer exam. And so uh, Orokodaki obviously says that he's going to train Tanjiro to, you know, get ready to take said, said exam. And so I thought that was a pretty cool kind of expansion on the mythos. Cause like when you meet a Rokodaki, you obviously know like, okay, he's definitely tied to Giyu. Like we, we get the whole flashback where Giyu gives sends a Rokodaki the letter where we actually get to see another side of Giyu that I'll kind of elaborate later. But we knew that he was involved with demon slaying in some form or fashion, but it was nice to actually get, you know, kind of the official description of kind of who he is and, you know, why he's the one that's going to be training Tanjiro. Yeah. So you, yeah. No, so what did you think about that? No, I thought that was like one of my favorite parts about the whole episode was that uh, as Tanjiro was like, okay, I have to get down to the base of the mountain before daybreak. Uh, the mist is really thick. I can't say anything, but I'm like a, a bloodhound and I can, you know, sniff yeah. out anything. And so he just starts following Uradaki's scent back down the mountain. And then that's when he finds the traps. And he goes, oh, wait, no, I can also sniff out the traps because the traps were sent by humans. And so he can just smell Uradaki's scent on the traps. But then you see, even though he has that ability, he knows the trap is there, but he doesn't have the physical prowess to dodge every single one. And as I was exactly. re-watching this episode, I was like, how is this child alive? right because i'm like you got like you know pretty much like an entire tree swinging across the face of a mountain trying to take your head off you got these giant bamboo traps smacking you in the head 50 times and it's just like and then even as he's getting more and more like uh agile and more able to get down the mountains uradaki's just like turning the knob up to 11 he's like yeah. now i'm just gonna throw swords at you and darts and here's a pit full of knives like good luck and it's just like he just continually makes it harder and harder for him and so it just shows how you know he's trying to baby him a little bit but at the same time he's also continually increasing it and making it harder and harder for him which will kind of be like kind of foreshadowing for the entire series where every single challenge he comes up against he thinks he knows how to fix it and then another 
hurdle is put in his place or another roadblock where he has to think outside the box and figure out how to adjust to make to accomplish the mission or to rescue somebody or defeat a certain foe and so it's just kind of a consistent arc in the entire series but yeah and and it's really interesting too because to your point earlier about thinking like is this kid gonna make it like how is this kid still alive like even Tanjiro thinks like at one point as the traps become deadlier he thinks like Orokodaki is trying to kill me (laughs) no 100% like I I was just watching it and I'm just like seeing like these boulders swinging down trying to take his head off and I'm like I think I would just go home like like I do not have this much you know you know drive or fortitude to do anything so and and one of the curious things about Orokodaki like throughout this entire arc is while he's giving Tanjiro instructions and like you said at some points it may seem like he's kind of babying him just to get him up to speed and then when he thinks it's he's ready he kind of amps up the difficulty level but at the same time there's also a dismissiveness about Orokodaki almost as if you know his heart isn't totally in it and later you know to your point about foreshadowing we find out kind of why that is but but right away just from like an audience member if you're someone who didn't know anything about it going into it like the scene kind of makes it very clear in 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 still like a an appropriately subtle way that while Rokodaki is helping Tanjiro like he's not all in on Tanjiro just yet yeah no he definitely has this tone of like I'll train you, but I'm not giving it 110%. Like, I'll tell you what you need to do. But he's always expecting Tanjiro to fail. He's always expecting to find him, like, knocked out on the mountainside. Or he didn't even expect him to complete the first challenge. Yeah. Because um, he's just like, there's no way this this bo- this small boy from a, from a small village could ever become a demon slayer. He hasn't, you know, seen the grit of the world. Um, but, and, so, and, yeah. No, go ahead, go ahead. No, and I was just going to say that, like, and so he's he, he doesn't have his full um, energy into it, or he, he's not really caring that much. But as he continually defeats these hurdles, he's kind of, in the same way, re-energizing Uraraki's training method and showing it's like, oh, well, maybe he can do it. Maybe he is the one that can do what I what I what all my other students haven't been able to do kind of a thing. Yeah. And and another thing that I really like about it is it it does a really good job of reinforcing the notion of demon slaying is very dangerous and very hard to do. And the vast majority of the human population would not be capable of doing this. And how many times have we seen across all type of platform, you know, or or across all type of iterations, whether it's, you know, anime or live action television or movies or whatnot, we always see, you know, sometimes we'll see like people kind of breeze through the training part and then you know they get to the you know serious actual you know whatever they're supposed to be doing and it's a lot scarier than anything in training and you're like well how 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 the hell was the training they did like how did that prepare them for this you know what i mean yeah <laughs> like, no 100 percent. like some of the stuff that like like for example like let's go back to dragon ball z they're like oh let's yeah. go into this time chamber train a bunch throw a bunch of like you know key blasts at each other and not really fight to the death but hey let's go fight cell who's gonna like rip our head off it's like the the, the training never matches up to what they're actually trying to achieve in the actual episode or the storyline and so i feel like in in demon slayer it does kind of show it a little bit more mm-hmm. because as he continues his training because i think he was training for what was it a year with uradaki 
Yeah, about a, no, I think to, in total, like from the moment he started training all the way until he went to the entrance exam, I think it was two years. Oh, yeah. Well, no, he trained with Uradaki. Uradaki oh, yeah. Was for guiding, a, a year. He was guiding him for a year. For a year, yeah. And then for after the year was over, he goes, I've trained you everything. I've taught you everything I can. Now here, cut this giant boulder in half. <laughs> yeah. And like, he's like, can, can I cut a boulder in half with my sword? And also to go back when he got his sword, Uradaki was like, if you break this sword, I will break every bone in your body. Yeah. And so I was like, lo- now you want me to take a sword and hit it against a rock a thousand times? It's like, how yeah. is this going to make it better? And, and, I, and I, I love that so much um, because again, that kind of gave us a little bit more of the lore stating that with demon slaying in particular, you know, not any type of sword will be able to do the job. It has to be a special demon slayer katana, uh, which they call it. Uh, what do they call it? The uh, the uh, it starts with an N, oh. like the like the Nigerian or Nigerian sword or something like that. But anyway, it's a it's a special demon slayer sword that's made with like this. A particular type of metal that will, you know, help with slaying demons or will be strong enough to cut through the demon's neck. Yeah, or it's just, yeah, it's something that they can use to infuse with their own technique, something that will survive their technique pretty much. So something that is not going to shatter on first impact. Right. And I, and I love how they get so detailed about how precise you have to be with your swings. Like you actually have to swing the direction of the, or the direction of the blade has to be facing the direction you're swinging in. If you don't do it from that way, then your sword will break. Yeah. So, because, yeah. Cause they're, they're, they talk about how the sword itself is very sharp, but also very fragile at the same time. Because exactly. like, like you just said, and then if you hit the side of it at any point, that's going to shatter the sword or crack it or whatever. Exactly. And then they say like a demon's most vulnerable, you know, part of their body is their neck. But like, if you don't have one of these swords, like you're not cutting through it, like you you need one, or most of the times, at least you need one of these swords to make a clean cut without, you know, everything falling apart. Yeah, exactly. And and they, they give us a little bit of that information. I think in episode two, when Tanjiro and Nezuko come across this uh, temple, and he's he smells blood tondra smells blood so he goes in to f- find out you know is somebody hurt can he help is he that's just the kind of person he is and he comes across to another demon and um here we get kind of like some of tondra's like hesitation to actually want to hurt another living thing because like he gets the demon kind of cornered and he has to finish off the demon and Uradaki's there with him, and he's like, you need to finish him off, and that hatchet's not going to do it. You need a specific type of sword. And so then, since he says the hatchet's not going to work, Tantro then just picks up a rock, and he goes, well, I guess I'll just have to cave in his head. And I was just like, that, that's yeah. where we jump to? Cave in his head? Okay. Um, but he doesn't have... And this is where uh, Uradaki gives the yells at him. He's like, you're too indecisive. It's because he's just standing there for so long that the sun just eventually rises and the demon burns up because they, they're killed by sunlight. Um, and so at that point, you get a little bit more information of how important the actual sword is. Because like you can cut off the head of a demon, but if for any reason that doesn't finish them off, um, you need your sword to do it. Because you can't just you know 
dismember them with any sword. It has to be a uh, the Demon Slayer sword. Exactly. And the strongest part of the sword will be like the edge of the blade. So that's why the making sure the direction lines up with where the blade is facing like the, the direction of where you swing lines up with where the blade is is facing is so essential or so you know imperative to killing a demon slayer if you're trying to you know take off their head yeah exactly um so yeah that was a really cool part i really like that and that's something i really appreciate how much thought and effort demon slayer has put into the training arcs like it's not one of the again we just talked about this we see countless training arcs where it's kind of just like yeah do this and then come back when you're done but, but like this actually explains kind of the science behind why these specific methods are needed yeah exactly and so um after Tanjiro's given this opportunity to like you know okay now cut a boulder in half he then trains for another six months to repeat all the training that Urodaki has already given him but right. every single time he comes across this, he comes up to the boulder to try to cut it in half. He just can't do it. And he's getting yeah. more and more frustrated and more angry. And he's like, I'm doing the training. I'm, I'm getting stronger, but I still can't do this. And he's starting to get some of that self-doubt in him. And that's when we're introduced to um, Sabato and Makomo. Makono. Yeah, yeah Makono. Um, and Sabato is like, he pretty much just kicks Tandro's ass with like a training sword. Like Tandro has a real sword and Sabado has a fake sword. Well, a training sword. I forget the name of it. And he just kicks his ass with it. And just after Tandro getting completely annihilated, he is like knocked out for a couple of hours. And uh, Makomo comes up to him and he's like, are you feeling okay? Like, you know, you know, a lot of things and you know, this training, but you're not using the training you're just swinging your sword and defending yourself. You're not actually implementing anything that Urodaki has taught you. And so then Makomo kind of becomes his new trainer or teacher. And she starts to point out all the points that he's doing wrong. Like you're not doing concentrate. You're not doing the concentration breathing. You're not using the technique correctly. You're doing too much of a flourish with this move when it just is a basic downward slash or something like that. And so he then becomes, he then gets training through Sabato and Makomo more. And he continually gets his butt kicked by Sabato, who teaches him the kind of the rough way of learning, where it's just like, I'm going to beat this into you until you figure out how to be a demon slayer. Yeah. Whereas Makomo is more of a nurturing, caring teacher where she's going to sit down and talk you through it. And I just thought it was kind of interesting. It shows both sides of how you could teach somebody. You could teach somebody in a loving, caring, nurturing way and give them time to learn it and like learn the steps and figure out where they're doing it wrong and how they can become better. Whereas Sabado is like, I'm going to kick your ass until you can beat me. And if you can't, then that's your problem and not mine. Cause I'm, sh you should know this by now. And I don't understand what you've been doing for the last year and a half. And so it's yeah. kind of that, that those two different types of training, which I think kind of kickstarts Tanjiro and that's finally how he learns to implement all of his different new fighting styles that he's never done before yeah well said no I, I couldn't agree more with that and these two characters in particular Sabito and Makano um they're two extremely mysterious characters right we don't get too much background information from them initially but to your point I like how they come at Tanjiro from both angles and 
Sabito is kind of there as the the tough love motivation reminder. You know, Sabato is the one where he's kicking his ass like, like I'm doing this so you can get stronger because you need to get stronger if you ever want to become a demon slayer. And Sabato, very similar to Orokodaki and uh, Giyu Tomioko, when they first meet Tanjiro, they give him brutal tough love, like initially right off the bat, you know, pretty much telling him like, you're a weakling, like, what are you doing? Like, you need to up, pretty much you need to step up your game, like stop being a coward, you know, you know, exactly fighting you and like, go at it. And so you kind of see that with Sabito, but very early on while they're fighting, uh, Tanjiro starts to doubt himself again. And he says, you know, I don't think I can do this. And it was Sabito who told him you can do this. And pretty much is kind of giving him the overall tone of, I will get you to where you need to be. You just need to give me your all every time we're sparring. Well, and, and, so, and I think it's also that he's teaching him that even a, like a, a duel or a training session, you should use, you should fight with the same vigor and energy you would if it was a life or death situation exactly like like when you're a demon slayer every moment of your life can be a a life-threatening situation because even when you're not assigned to hunt demons as we see later in the show that doesn't mean demons aren't hunting you especially if if you become a well-known demon slayer a lot of demons are going to know who you are and you're going to have a lot of enemies yep exactly and that's something that and so that's kind of like where Sabuto comes from. But then with uh, Mokuno, um, I kind of, to your point, I like how she kind of is the one who explains the methods to him in a way where he can, you know, mentally configure all the different, you know, variables he has to put in place in order to, you know, be the demon slayer he wants to be. And the two big things that Orokodaki, you know, kind of trained Tanjiro on was, you know, the all 10 of the water breathing forms and then uh, total concentration breathing. And so specifically for total concentration breathing, that's where Makano kind of comes in and she really lays out the, you know, the science behind it. And she pretty much talks about how like total concentration breathing, what pretty much happens is that, you know, your blood, your blood circulation accelerates because you're heart your heart rate is you know much faster than normal like you're breathing at a much faster faster pace than you normally would which you know will kind of cause your body temperature to spike and in doing so at least as it pertains to the lore for this specific story in doing so humans are able to access the strength of a demon and so the stronger you become really depends on how 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 wide you can kind of make your lung capacity because it all depends like the more air you can kind of bring breathe in and bring into your bloodstream the stronger you're going to become so that's why they place so much importance on you know controlling your breathing and doing you know forms through breathing which i thought was was really cool yeah and it's also a way for them to be able to match the the fighting strength of a demon because as you learn in that episode they teach you a little bit more demon physiology uh right. where they pretty much talk about that it's um they they live like their main food source is human meat and they have enhanced abilities enhanced strength and enhanced 
uh, stamina. And so the only way for a demon slayer to fight that is to find a way to get to their level. And with doing these breathing techniques, it allows them to increase their own stamina and their own strength to then balance out with the demons. Right. Exactly. And, and then Machino also as well, um, it, it's very funny because when Tandro first meets her, he's like, oh, she's cute, you know? <laughs> and that was, that was a, a pretty, you know, nice moment that they had or whatever. But, yeah, um, exactly. Because it, it then, kind of shows for a minute he's like, a, he's a kid again. He's exactly. like, oh, oh, she's cute. And then he's like, oh, crap, wait, I'm training to be a demon slayer. I can't do that right now. <laughs> right. So then like later when he's, the more he starts to talk to her, he literally thinks to himself, she's cute, but she's kind of weird. And that kind of goes back to them being mysterious characters. And Tandro, like, actually, like, the way he describes her is he says her speech is very abstract and dreamy-like, which, you know, the audience member right away is a red flag to her. Like, there's something not normal about these two kids. Like, maybe we can't quite put our finger on what it is right now, but, like, they're, like, these two kids are not normal, you know, students of orokodaki or normal you know demon slayers like there's a there's an outside element that we just don't know yet yeah exactly so um, yes so pretty much uh oh no go ahead sorry sorry steven oh no i was just gonna say like so after training with sabado and makomo for six more months so it's been a total of two years um he finally challenges sabado to a final duel but this time instead of a dueling sword sabado has an actual demon slayer sword and so now yeah. it's kind of like the 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 threat level has increased to say and so it's kind of become of more an actual fight to the death and so as you see tanjiro who's like he's completely disheveled his hair has grown has grown ridiculously long his clothes are mangled it looks like he's been through the grinder a couple hundred times um and they're just standing off in this duel and then you see in like a single motion Tanjiro just is this like quick down strike and just cuts Sabado's mask in half and before the episode ends he explains to him that through his training he has learned this technique known as the opening thread which is something that he can sense which if he ever sees an opening left open by uh, an opening left open that's intelligent <laughs> if he ever sees an opening that his his enemy has left for him he will sense it and then the he'll kind of be drawn towards that opening to then defeat his foe and so it's kind of a new technique he's learned to as he's been doing his training and you see him do this strike and it and you see his mask get cut in half and Tandra just thinks he's defeated Sabado and he's like okay I've, I've I've taken that next step I've I've learned that new technique that I needed to know to then finally cut the boulder. But then as Sabado and Makomo vanish, he realizes he actually did cut the boulder in half in this very dramatic reveal. And it's just really cool because he was working so hard and like focusing so hard on his goal to cut this boulder in half that he even achieved it when he wasn't a hundred percent focused on it, but he was just focused on the technique, the method and going through each step that he'd been trained and now he can finally achieve his goals. And so now he's seeing that you need to look at stuff more than just a goal. You need to figure out how do I use my tools to accomplish that goal? Yeah, well said. And, and to your point too, uh, the opening thread, that is a badass. like, that is a badass move. The whole, the whole thread method, like, so essentially once he can smell the thread, he can see it. And then once he sees it, 
it literally makes a straight line and it pulls him straight to his target. And then he can just, you know, take care of business from there. Like that is so badass. And again, it emphasizes how much importance the series places on precision. You know what I mean? Like, again, it's so easy with anime to just have over the top action. That's just kind of all over the place. And not even just with anime, with action in general, we see it all the time with, like nonsensical cgi you know effects that are just kind of there to be there and it's just really messy and all over the place but with demon slayer they know how to show you a lot of power and a lot of raw power but in a way that is you know precise and organized if that makes does that make sense yeah no it's not like it's not like destructive in what it can do it's they do it in a very like they show you what the power can do and it's a very well designed way to show how accurate it can be pretty much and so exactly instead of just you know tanjiro doing a technique and then the boulder exploding that would be cool i guess but that's not really the art form that they're trying to portray in this series it's all about using a very delicate and like focused point attack because it's not just oh, I'm going to lob a bunch of key blasts at this enemy and it'll blow up. And it's like, you have to exactly cut off the demon's head. And then, and that's the only way you can do it. You can hack at it all you want and it will lose blood. Yes, but it's not going to be as effective if you didn't just go for the head itself. Yeah. And, and, and another thing too about uh, Makano and Sabato is... I really like one of the things I really took away from this kind of training arc is how like the idea of we don't necessarily have to be studying at the same time or working together at the same time, but we're both prodigies of like the same master, which makes us family. Like they, like they train Tanjiro as if they'd known him, you know, their whole lives. Like they, they really care about him and they care about kind of, you know, what happens to him moving forward. And it's directly tied to Urokodaki. Like they share the same master in a sense. So like there's that that camaraderie that is impossible to replicate. You know what I mean? It just, it's one of those things. And like, I find that so, one. that's one of the heartwarming things I find about anime is that like the, I guess the the feelings that can be shared between mutual students of the same master, even if they're not being trained at the same time. Well, and also in in that culture, from the little I know from watching different kung fu movies and just doing some you know casual research on the side, um, is when you are the master of something, or if you're a student of a master, you represent that master at all times. Um, right. So the, the, the sense of honor and shame are very large in the Japanese culture. Uh, and where if you are a student, if, you know, as Tanjiro is a student under Uraraki, if Tanjiro did something that was shameful or brought embarrassment to his master, his master would have to answer for that. And so would all of the students. So he would bring shame to everyone else. And so with Tanjiro having those moments of doubt and like, thinking he could not accomplish what he had been trained to do the other students then stepped forward and were like no no you need to do this like we we all we've done it by ourselves we've accomplished our task now we're going to lift you up to make sure that we are all at the same level so that exactly. way it was a consistent training to show that there is no fault in the training method nine times out of ten the training method is true it's the subject that has the problem with understanding the core concept 
Yeah, that's perfect point. And, and so obviously he, to to what you alluded to earlier, he beats Sabato, he cuts his mask. And when we finally see Sabato's face, we just see like the most innocent smile you could possibly ever see. And Tanjiro can kind of feel where the smile is coming from. And he says, there's a sense of relief, you know, um, I, I, I guess there's a sense of relief, a sense of worry and a sense of sadness, just because it's kind of his relief to him that Tanjiro is ready. And so the the chilling thing about this scene is, you know, after we see Sabato smiling and uh, Makino kind of steps in and she pretty much tells him, do your best, you know, not just today, but in any opponents you face moving forward, you have to continue winning. And then they just disappear. <laughs> Yeah, just like just like Uradaki did at the beginning of his training when he's at the top of the mountain, the mist came in and he just vanished instantly. Um, so, so, you know, so Tanjiro is pretty much like having his Jim Gordon moment. Like, why the hell do they always disappear as soon as I turn my head? Like, like if one more person vanishes and like in this mist, I'm gonna be pissed. <laughs> exactly. Like he, 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 it has to be such like a mind fuck to him. Like, dude, people just pop up left and right. Like, what the hell is? Where am I? I know, right? It's like, if, am I? Have I been eating the bad mushrooms under the trees? I thought I was eating the good ones. Am I just on an acid trip? Like, it, like, just it, it's turned out it's just been an acid trip, right. and he's just been drooling under a tree for the last six months, and he doesn't know where the hell he is. Right. <laughs> and so, um, and so the other two big takeaways until we, you know, jump into the actual exam, the only other two big takeaways that I took away from this was a Tandro is also kind of leaving a diary for Nezuko, um, just so, and I and I think it's really it's a really cool kind of plot device they put in just because it's a it's something that's going to keep Tanjiro motivated because it's a constant reminder that like you're doing all of this to find a cure for your sister but then also when Nezuko wakes up she can kind of in you know chooses if she ever chooses to read it she can kind of understand everything that Tanjiro has been going through to you know you know look out for his little or look out for his sister you know what I mean yeah, I was actually kind of curious as to what your take on was with him writing the journal. Because yeah. when I rewatched it again, I was like, it's like, okay, his goal is to find a way to save Nezuko. He wants to bring Nezuko back so that she'll be human again. So I'm like, why do you need the journal if, you know, you're she's going to be alive and you're going to be alive? But then I started to look at it in a different way of being like, maybe he's doing this because he thinks Nezuko is going to stay in this like coma she's been in for the last two years and they can't find out what's wrong with her. They don't know what the issue is. And so my thought is he kind of assumed that she was going to be in this coma until he found the cure. And in case anything happened to him, like, you know, he was fighting a demon and he, he unfortunately dies. If he does die, then he has a way to has has he still has that form of communication with Nezuko so he can still kind of leave a message for him for her if anything were to happen to her exactly and it and it reinstates the purpose of like hey your brother never forgot about you you know you've been on his mind this whole time and you know he's still with you in spirit even if he can't physically be with you yeah exactly and I think I think that just kind of all just once again um shows just how much he's willing to sacrifice for her um yeah and for everyone i think at this point i think he's seen how much destruction that demons can do and it's no longer just been about 
like a majority of it, I think is about Nezuko, but the other half of it is he wants to get rid of demons. He doesn't want us this to be a consistent issue going forward. Right, exactly. And and to your point, even when he encounters the the demon in early episode two, the reason why he's hesitant to kill it isn't necessarily because like he can't kill it. It's because like mentally speaking, like he thinks like I'm gonna cause pain to this individual. Like he doesn't even think of it as a demon. He's just like, I'm gonna cause it pain. And Arukadaki's sitting there and he's like, I can sense empathy for a demon like <laughs> yeah and and like he thinks that's the that's the missing link that needs to be found in order for it to be in order for it to be like something that could be fixed or remedied for the entire world right and and it's interesting too because when Arukidaki originally kind of reacts to it he's he's almost it almost suggests that he's appalled by it He's like, he's like, I see it as kindness, even with a demon right in front of him. He's like, I sense empathy from this child for a demon. And like, the, just the way he said it, it kind of sounded like disgust. But then when you go to the letter that he gets from Giyu Tomiko, Giyu Tomiko pretty much states, you know, I can't put my finger on it, but there's something different about these two, meaning Nezuko and Tanjiro. And he's like, keep you know, training them, keep being around them, and eventually you'll see it too. So that's most likely the thing that they see is like the fact that they don't want to just take the demons out for the sake of taking the demons out. They want to get to like the heart of the issue, which is, you know, kind of ending this cycle of pain and violence. Yeah, exactly. And like, that's kind of where, um, where I think having this new, I, I, I guess, yeah, empathy would be the best word, the empathy for demons that Tanjiro has. But at the same time, he still understands that they are a threat. and They need to be dealt with when right. need be. Um, but to go on from that, so now that he's accomplished his mission of chopping the giant boulder in half with his sword, he has now been allowed to enter the final selection exam to become a demon slayer, which requires him to stay on a mountain for seven days and in this mountain is completely filled with demons that are held there by a certain type of flower that grows there year round. So the demons can never pass that line of uh, that, that growth of flowers. So they're always stuck on that mountain, but these are demons that were captured by other demon slayers. Um, and so pretty much as uh, Tanjiro comes up to this like large, uh, landing to get ready for this training he was he's kind of shocked to see the number of people that are also taking the exam with him because i think he said there must have been like 20 or 25 people that were all going to take the exam with him and he was like is this normal for there to be this many people to take this this exam and how many of these people are actually going to make it uh going forward and it's just kind of shocking to him to see how many people undertake this type of training and undertake this type of like passion to do this by themselves yeah and and it was such a eye-opening scene when he enters mount uh fuji kasana or mount fuji kasane i think that's the name of the mountain where they have to yeah take the exam. Mm -hmm. and it's just the music that's playing in the background and then when you actually see like the landscape of the place it's just so beautiful like wisteria flowers all around and and Tanjiro is just like, whoa, what are all these wisteria flowers doing here? Like, it's not even in season right now. Mm -hmm. And that's when we find out that, you know, 
it's all year round for in that location because they need to keep the demons away to your point um so like i thought that was really cool and again yeah seeing all those people it gives you it gave me you know not knowing anything about the show going into it you know i read the manga once i caught up to the show but when i first like got into demon slayer i had gotten in from watching the show and so not knowing anything else when i see all of those applicants there i'm thinking like oh there's a lot of demon slayers but we we find out later like there's a reason why there's that many applicants (laughs) (laughs) exactly And, and, and another thing right before tandro leaves to go to that place that ends up being a foreshadowing is arukadaki tells him the more a demon like the more humans a demon slayer devours the mm-hmm. bigger they can become and the stronger they can become yeah Which exactly will play into what we're about to talk about <laughs> yeah so as as Dondro's on this mountain his first plan is to get to the side of the mountain that the sun is going to hit first so which means if he's ever if he's ever caught outside or like surrounded he knows the sun is going to hit that side of the mountain first, which is going to allow this him to be able to escape or, you know, take out whatever demons he's fighting at the time or allow them or like scare them away into running away. Cause the sun will start rising. Um, so then he, Tanjiro kind of has a plan. He's kind of always, a, he always knows what he's going to go into. He doesn't go into th- anything blind. He kind of always has a plan. And so he knows if he's on that side of the mountain, the sun will rise first. It'll hit that side of the mountain first, and then he'll be able to rest sooner, and then he'll be able to regain any strength he's lost over the night. Um, And then during the nighttime, he's going to do his best to defeat any demons he comes across. And just um, also, I think he also kind of had it in his mind to kind of look out for other trainees, I think, because I don't think he ever wanted to see anyone else get killed by a demon. But um, there is a moment he comes across this other kid who is just terrified. Like he's shaking in his boots. He has no composure. And so Tanjiro kind of takes him under his wing and be like, Hey, we got to stay together. You know, if the two of us together has a better chance of fighting demons than just us doing it by ourselves. And so, you know, they, they, you know, fight for a while and they eventually get uh, to a safe spot when they come across this massive blob of a demon that just looks like a giant, I don't know, like half melted birthday cake that's been out in the sun for five days, uh, which is just just terrifying looking thing. And it has like how many arms is on this thing? Like, I think it had like six or like seven arms that he could like shoot out of his body or something. I just remember it was a lot of arms. I just remember they're coming out of everywhere and it was terrifying me. But so uh, the first thing this demon notices is the mask that uh, Uradaki gave Tanjiro before he left for the for the uh, for the test? He said this this mask is enchanted with uh, uh, I forget something that would help protect him from uh, demons and like evil spirits and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a it's a Tengu mask and yeah, there's a warding spell on it. That's right, a warding spell on it. And so they so the first thing this demon notices is the mask. And Tandro's kind of taken aback. He's like, why would he know the mask? And so then he's like, oh, he must know Sabado and, and Makomo. Because, you know, they must have, you know, come across him. Because if they had already completed their training and they were helping him out, then they must have already, like, seen them. But then the more and more they fight, uh, the demon starts pointing out, how many of these people have I eaten so far? And he starts counting off all of the ones that have been Uraki students. 
that he's killed and eaten because Uraraki was the demon slayer that captured this demon and kept him trapped in this mountain for like seven years. Right. So they, it, there's that revenge aspect to it. Like the demon has motivation for what he's doing. And like uh, they even mention, and another thing that I like about this show is a lot of times with shows, they're kind of, or with, you know, anime, you know, lore, they're kind of loose in terms of like, how old a person can be like like they have no issue being like oh this person's 350 years old or this person exactly. is like 600 years old where it seems like someone who's like 50 or 60 it would almost be like oh you haven't lived that long like demon slayer isn't like that demon slayer is like dude if you lived in this world for 30 years you've lived a long time because this is a dangerous fucking world you know <laughs> yeah exactly it's and like so there's no way you can be safe here when you're in this world right and so given the fact that a demon gets stronger the more humans they devour it makes this demon really stand out because the first thing the demon asks when he you know talks to Tanjiro is he's like hey what period are we in are we still in the Meiji era and anyone who you know doesn't know when the Meiji era was the Meiji era was from 1868 to 1912 so then Tanjiro was like no we're in the I think the Taisho era which was from 1912 to 1926 so that's like almost 50 years between the two. And so um, the demon lets him know, like, Uruki caught me in the Idu era, which is actually the era before the Meiji era. Like, the Meiji era started in 1968. The Idu period was, it ended in, did I say 19? I'm sorry, um, 1868. And the Idu era period ended in 1867. So that means Urudoki was... Uh, a demon slayer doing the Edo period. So that means this demon is, I mean, the demon literally states, I got trapped here 47 years ago. So almost 50 years of doing nothing but devouring humans, like no wonder the demon is as big and as strong as it is. Yeah, exactly. And so then it kind of makes Tanjiro almost falter in his own belief in himself that he can't do this. Like he's like, these many other demon slayers have come across him and haven't been able to defeat him. So why, how could I possibly do it? Um, Which is kind of the tactic of any demon is they always want to get into your mind somehow to make you doubt yourself. Because if you doubt yourself, then there's no way that you will ever be able to overcome whatever they're throwing at you. And particularly in like that, just if you meet one in general too, like imagine how much, more intense it would be for one who has a specific motivation to take you out outside of like, I'm hungry, I want to eat. Like this dude wants to get back at Orokodaki by killing as many of his students as possible. Out of the 50 people, he said at least 50. So it could be more people that he devoured. But he said out of the at least 50, at least 14 of them were Orokodaki students. And you see how many people are in that selection. There are multiple trainers that do this like Orokodaki isn't the only one who does this for each form there's like an individual trainer who like trains it so out of all the students like to have 14 out of your 50 be from one trainer like that's pretty significant you know yeah exactly so yeah he's got to deal with that as well which um and then even you know one of the shadier parts is that same guy that he 
Tondrell meets earlier and he kind of takes under his wing and saves him instead of ditching his ass real quick. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Like when the demon knocks Tondro out, the guy's just like, ah, yeah, I'm out of here. Deuces. (laughs) (laughs) And so he leaves and what saves Tondro is he actually gets kind of almost like a vision from his younger brother, like one of his deceased younger brothers and like kind of forces him to wake up and he wakes up just in time to dodge it and then after he dodges the hit that's when he kind of gets his uh kind of gets his resolve to you know in this monster because he's like if i die i don't really care so much about my death what i care about is all these other future students of Orokodaki who are going to get killed so he's like there's no option like i have to take this out to spare others you know from meeting the same fates as the ones that came before us met and so and i think he also wants to do it to kind of avenge the ones that have fallen oh yeah absolutely and 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 i think you get the sense at that point that um i don't know if we mentioned this but right before tandra leaves to go to the exam he literally tells rukudaki like tell sabito and makano i say bye and rukudaki's like what the fuck how do you know yeah, those like names? how, how do you dead. know the people of the dead it's like what <laughs> yeah. the hell yeah so 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 it kind of to us the audience members it lets us know that like these spirits are like are not at rest because and like they won't be at rest until this demon you know is destroyed because this demon you know what happened to them and what happened to everyone else is literally haunting them and so like they can't be at peace until this demon is destroyed exactly and like so as tanjiro starts using almost i think every single water like water move that he knows yeah he slowly starts to like i think he actually does land one like i think he almost lands a blow on the demon's neck yeah but for some reason it's like thick like the back of it is really really thick and because he's Mm -hmm. so old and so he would have found a way to reinforce that part of his body to defend him to to make sure he lives longer, um, yeah. which kind of then rolls it back to Tanjiro's training where he had to cut through this impossible thick boulder with a sword. It's like it seems impossible, but right. it kind of connects back to the, his current issue where he's like, oh, now I see yeah. why I had to try to cut through something that almost was impossible, which is what his current issue is. And so yeah. then he finds another way to slowly disarm this demon either by removing the number of hands he can regenerate so that he can finally get a clean shot in on the demon itself. Yeah, exactly. And obviously he ends up doing that and he slices the demon's head off. But um, like as that's going on, like as Tandro is getting closer, we get this flashback from the demon from when it was originally caught by Orokodaki. And in terms of flashback scenes, this is one of the sickest flashback scenes you will ever see. Like the music is on point. The action is so like amazing. And I love the black and white kind of uh, animation we get from it. Yeah. And essentially, and like my favorite part about it was, you know, so obviously Orokodaki comes up to this demon and the demon is like devouring the village or, you know, the demon's home or whatever. And the demon kind of stops because he notices Orokodaki's presence. And so he rushes at Orokodaki and they're kind of going at it, you know, for a couple of seconds. And then the demon like jumps above him thinking that he's going to surprise him with like an above attack. And Orokodaki is so badass that like, and it goes back to making sure that your blade is positioned in the same 
direction you're going to strike. If you really like pay attention, like I had to pause that scene and go back a couple times to really see what was going on. As soon as the demon goes above a Rokidaki, a Rokidaki can sense it. And he realizes that in this position, if the demon were to pounce on me, my blade is not in the right direction to make a clean swipe. So Rokidaki like literally shifts his body like 180 but doesn't look up he just because he senses it and he shifts it 180 to a position that as soon as the demon lands the demon is literally like right next to his swipe and without even looking at the demon he just effortlessly like swipes in the air and just makes like the cleanest cut <laughs> yeah no and it, it was just such an awesome choreographed scene and i just yeah. and it also as uh eventually when tanjiro gets that clean cut and lobs off his head now we shift it back to the demon again and you get to learn more about his life and like what made him want to become that demon because you start he starts having these flashbacks of like of remembering who he was when he was human because he's been a demon for so long he, like that's all he's been but now he finally starts to see himself as the of he's like where did my life go wrong was it was i too needy was i was i a rotten child was i misbehaved and it just kind of you start to see this light start shining on who he was before he was a demon and it just shows just like how we we can all be people but it's based on our actions that will change how our life will turn out like there's there's a thousand different roads we can go down and each one has its own consequences. And for this demon, he chose, you know, he may have not started off on the greatest um, uh, situation, but then he started to make choices to feed that greed and feed that evil inside of him. And then he finally slowly one day turned into a demon um, by being attacked by one. And then all of those horrible habits he had just uh, multiplied and became worse and worse. Yeah, and I know it's not explicitly stated, but I, I kind of have a theory on what was going on with that demon. Um, because at, at, a, at a certain point, you see, and this, it, it suggests that like this scene is only a couple of scenes before Rokudaki gets there. Um, you see the demon crying, and he says, you know, like, brother, where are you? Like, I can't believe I ate my brother. And so for me, you know, we see this all the time. When someone goes through something traumatic, sometimes they will block it from their memory altogether and you remember he states like after he you know realizes that that's what he's thinking about he's like oh right i did have a brother didn't i and so like i think you know whatever demonic urge he had like he obviously lost to that urge or he gave into that urge and i think one of his first victims was his brother and i think after he killed his brother and realized they killed his brother. It was too traumatic for him to handle. So instead of trying to fight the urge anymore, he just gave fully into it. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's when, yeah, like you said, he just blocked out that from ever happening. Right. And then he's, he thinks he's alone in his final moments because he killed his brother. So his brother's not around and no one's yeah. like, that was years ago. But then he looks up and he sees the demon slayer, Tanjiro, with Soon like the saddest look imaginable and he just on his and he's face. like why is he sad why is he crying he should be happy he <laughs> killed me and then this is where tanjiro is he's glad he won but he's sad that this happened to him he, he's sad yeah. that this demon went through such a traumatic life and he's become this monster that i doubt he even wants to be and so it's 
he feels for the demon and has so much empathy for him that even the demon doesn't know how to process it. He's like, I don't understand why this child is crying for me. Yeah. And, and, and it just brings everything kind of full circle because you realize that this whole time with Orokodaki and with Sabato, like training him to take out that boulder, it had nothing to do with the boulder in itself. They were training him to be strong enough to make the cut on the demon. Exactly. And so we get that moment once it's done, Sabato and Makano, they kind of say like, oh, he did it, you know, and uh, Tanjiro tells them, you guys can rest, you guys can be at peace. And you see all the other victims as well. And he kind of tells them, and I, I think the victims that we saw specifically were the ones who were Rokodaki's former students. And so he tells them, you guys can go back to your home, which is Mount Sagiri or Sagiri, however that's pronounced which yeah. is where Orokodaki is. Mm-hmm. And so that was him kind of putting them at rest. But then you find out that, and this is what I found to be a really cool concept, is like Orokodaki is not in the dark about what this demon is doing. He knows his, the demon is going after his students and killing them. So Orokodaki has a tremendous amount of remorse and guilt that he feels because he feels like he's leading these children to their deaths. Because he knows there's an unstoppable demon in there that the moment he identifies them as, you know, his children or his students, like he's going to kill them. Yeah. And so he's trying to do everything in his power to right. prevent them from going. Exactly. Um, that's, that's, why why, want, that's why he didn't want to like go all in on Tanjiro. Well, yeah. But then also like when he cuts the boulder, um, he even he confesses. He's like, I didn't expect you to be able to do it. Yeah, like I had no intentions of sending you to the final selection. Right, uh, exactly. And which and, also, which also begs the question: like, what did did Giyu Tomi did Giyu Tomi like just like not run into that demon? <laughs> you know what it, I mean? It could have been he just didn't run into him, or he got away from it. <laughs> but like, I feel like I feel like Giyu probably would have been able to take it. <laughs> well, like, and I kind of want to get to know more about that. Like, I yeah. want there to be more, like, I want, I think in season two, I hope they do more with his character. They yeah. do a little bit at the end of season, at near the end of season one. But I feel like that character has so much depth to it. Oh, absolutely. You, you couldn't, I cannot foresee him being like cold and stoic as a child. Like, no, I feel it- like he has to be similar to Tanjiro. And I feel like that's why he had that pull towards him. And you, and you always have to remember there's there's two types of people for any person. There's the type that they publicly show you and then the type in terms of like what their inner thoughts are showing. Mm-hmm. And he's the perfect example where he comes off as really cold and stoic. But on the inside, he's constantly thinking about other people. He's constantly thinking about the we- welfare of other people. He's constantly analyzing things, you know, like he's Tandro's biggest supporter, but, you know, you'd never know it based off of like talking to him just because he doesn't really show much emotion, but there's a lot going on in his head. Yeah. And I think, I think, I hope they, they dive more into that into the next season. Um, yeah. And I can't wait to see what they do with him, but. Um, Absolutely. So as, so now that Tandro has survived the seven days on the mountain, um, he, he gets to the, the, the top of the mountain and he's met with everyone who survived. Yeah. And as we said at the beginning of this, there was like 25 to 30 people maybe who were going into this exam. And as he gets to the top of the mountain, five people are remaining, including him. 
Yeah, and 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 we only see four of them. We see, uh, we see. I, I the guy with like the crazy scar. I think his name is either Genia or Genia. <laughs> um, we we see Kano, yeah, and Kano. then and then we see uh, Zenetsu. Yep, Zenetsu. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's just like, and that's when you get your first glimpse of Zenetsu, who yeah. is a blubbering, crying mess, <laughs> who has no idea how he made it to the end of the exam. Right. And um, and I think at this point, this would probably be a, a good cutoff point for us right now, just because like we we kind of finalized the training arc. And I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of relative information that we get in this fifth episode that I think we should probably save for like another uh for another we should save it for our next session because there yeah. is a lot of relative info that uh i want to make sure we get across because it is a really inform like it's really informative in terms of kind of understanding how you get ranked within you know the demon slaying corp and uh obviously meeting some new interesting characters <laughs> exactly definitely some good ones but yeah. yeah no so that's gonna that's gonna do it for this week's episode of limitless otaku uh, I want to thank everyone who listened to our last episode and who are continuing to listen. Uh, once again, if you guys have any comments or anything that you want to share with us, um, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, you can follow us at Limit- Limitless Otaku. Uh, we both have access to that. So feel free to shoot us a message if, you, if there's anything you think we can improve on or anything in specifically you want us to talk about. Um, we're both always looking for uh, more information and uh I'm really excited for, you know, how well this is going. Um, We've only, you know, fumbled at the one yard line a little bit. Uh, So hopefully we can continue going, but. uh, So so, um, I I just wanted to butt in and. Of course you wanted to butt in. (laughs) You know how I do, bro. You know how I do. Um, But uh, I I, I thought that, you know, to kind of end the segment and to get across the point to you guys that while we're talking about Demon Slayer right now, this isn't going to be the only thing in general we, we talk about. So I, I thought it would be cool that at the end of each segment, we just kind of give like a one, one sentence kind of brief on like, or briefing on like what we're kind of watching or reading outside of Demon Slayer, because we like a lot of stuff outside of Demon Slayer and we will be talking about a lot of stuff outside of Demon Slayer. So like for me, I'm reading this uh, web novel called The Beginning After the End. And for anyone who's ever read it or is thinking about reading it, like it is a must read. It is so good. And it's essentially about reincarnation, but in that, you know, anime sort of way. And it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing. (laughs) So like Steve, you got anything outside of Demon Slayer that you're currently trying to. So I just got done. uh, Actually, I finished it a couple of months ago uh, or weeks ago. I finished uh, Invincible on Amazon Prime. So good. So good, dude. Uh, Which is based off of an actual comic series by uh, Skybound, I think, made it. Yeah, I forget. Yeah. Uh, But it's it's the same. It's by Robert Kirkman, uh, same guy who wrote The Walking Dead. Uh, It's such a huge series. Like they barely scratched the surface with with that first season. And I'm expecting there to be so many more. Um, I'm currently reading the actual comics themselves. I bought like the three like omnibuses of them. So it's like, okay <laughs> like it's like issue one to to like issue 400 or whatever uh, so what did you what did you um what did you ask them what what was the name you asked them to charge it under so jenny wouldn't find out 
Oh, and I have, I have multiple accounts. I have multiple burner cards. Uh, no one needs to know about those. Thanks for throwing that out there. Uh, now the IRS is going to be calling me being like, how many burner accounts do you have? Um, no, I just, I purchase it under my brother's name. Uh, I just send him the money. He sends me the comic. Um, okay. it's, we do it in a, sh- in a sh- uh, shady alley and no one needs to know about it. <laughs> but uh, no, um, I actually get, uh, to kind of segue into this, uh, I actually get a majority of my comics off of Comixology. Uh, if anyone's looking to get into comics, Comixology is like the key application to get into it. You can yeah. look up series, story arcs, anything that's kind of interesting to you. Because I know for me, when I first got into comics, I had no idea where to start. Um, and I just went on to Comixology. I typed in a story arc that I wanted to read, which was Death in the Family in the Batman series. Uh, and it just gave me so every single comic that I needed to read that story arc and none of the filler ones. And so it was perfect. Uh, no, so I didn't. Huge shout out so, to Comixology. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Like that is, you don't realize how important it is until you're like literally looking for a specific arc and you're Googling, trying to figure it oh, out and you're God. getting all this irrelevant information and you're getting so frustrated. You're like, and you literally get tempted to like go into like wiki and like type a question. Like, why can't anyone tell me exactly where I find what I need to find? Exactly. It's so <laughs> annoying to find stuff, but yeah, no. So, but yeah, uh, Invincible is an amazing, Invincible is an amazing series. I love it. Um, I just love how, you know, seeing these high school kids try to be superheroes and be students at the same time. And just the main character, Mark, is just a fumbling idiot 90% of the time. And I'm like, how the hell are you a superhero? Like, I love him, <laughs> but he's such a dumbass sometimes. Oh, yeah. No, no, trust me. I, and it, it's, it's kind of like the same with what I'm reading with the beginning after the end, like the main character MC, his name's Arthur Lewin. And it's about reincarnation. So this guy literally lived a former life as a king. And then he gets transferred to this world and he gets reborn as like a mage. And for someone who lived his life, like his full adult life and became a king, like he makes some irritating decisions and like and i love it he'll even acknowledge it like how the fuck did i fuck up this much when i when i've literally lived a past life like knowing that you already messed up horribly once yeah and then you have to relive it good god i would die because like the thing about him is like even though he's lived technically you know two lives or at least one and a half or one and a partial yeah like he's still like emotionally undeveloped so, so like, if you're talking about like war and strategy and shit, like he can, you know, spit off with the best of them. But like, when you're talking about like, this person is sad, go talk to them. Like he wouldn't know what to fucking do. Jeez. Oh, man. <laughs> which, which like, which like makes him at odds with like his, his love interest, his main love interest in the series. But it's really cute to like, watch them kind of go back and forth. That's too funny. I, yeah. I, I'm definitely gonna have to put that on my my ever growing list that Cleveland continually tells right? me to read. It's so good, dude. And it, it, it's like you can read it from two forms. Like there's the web novel, but then they also developed a web comic for it. And so I got introduced to it through the web comic. Like I was just scroll scrolling, like you know how I'm like those uh like the on like the websites they'll have like trending now and shit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was trending, so I was like, oh, let me catch it. And like I watched the first or I read the first chapter and I was hooked and I caught all the way up and I'm at the point now where I know if something has a, whether it's a comic book or like, a well, I don't want to say comic book so much, but whether it's like a manga or a manhwa, specifically a manhwa, if it's been released through to a certain amount of chapters, like you can bet the house that this is based off of an actual web novel. Like it wasn't 
uh, manhwa first. It was a web novel, and then it got yeah. adapted into a manhwa. And so I, I caught up when I caught up, I think it was already close to like a hundred chapters. So I already knew like, there's a web novel this is based off of. So then I Googled like the web novel and I had to research to figure out where the web novel left off as it pertains to like where I left off in the web comic, which took a little bit of time. But once I found that out, I'm like all the way caught up to the web novel. And now I'm just waiting kind of weekly for the new chapters to drop. I just, for some reason, I picture you like after you finish something and you know, there's more coming. I just picture you like on your desk, like emailing the author being like, give, me, give it, give it. I know it's done. Give it to me. Give me the next, the next chapter. Give it. So I, so I, I never want to be like that type of fan, but like there was one time I was really like the only time I've ever been tempted to do something like that is um I was really tempted to email the creator of Jujutsu Kaisen <laughs> because there's a certain chapter and I don't want to spoil it for anyone but there was a certain chapter that was released a couple of weeks ago that was just absolutely traumatic in terms of what the future could be for a very important character <laughs> like I was really ready to email the creator like stop fucking with me tell me is this person okay or not <laughs> like would you stop playing with my heartstrings uh, yeah. that's the only time i've ever been tempted other than that i'm pretty good at keeping my opinions to myself oh lordy <laughs> all righty guys well once again thank you for listening and uh we will see you guys next week yeah, talk to thank you, later. you guys